0: Well, good morning again. Welcome to you in one hundred one, one hundred two. Um, my my hope is today will be a blessing, um, regardless if you're online or here in the auditorium or in the other room. Um, we've been in this series now. This is week eight. Um, And we've been adding these words to our vocabulary that I believe are so important as we try to live in a world that is full of anxiety. Um, Our our world just seems like at any moment if you light a match it could go up in in flames. And these words that we've been adding um, are, are not new words to us, but I think they are words that are so important and fundamental to our faith And if we can begin to grasp these words and and commit them to our mind and our heart, they will give peace and joy in the midst of a very anxious world. And the words that we've talked about over the last several weeks are these. Gratitude, purpose, unity, sacrifice, serve, confident, belonging is what we did last week. And the word this week is going to sound completely ridiculous when you hear it because you're going to think, what in the world? But the word is this. It's proximity. So I'm going to start in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here is the question I want to begin with this morning. Is it possible to not be anxious? Is it possible to not be anxious? Anyone ever anxious before? Anyone ever struggle a little bit with these anxious thoughts and fears? Our world, as we said way back in February, um, we did a series called Peace and Quiet, where we talked about the need to slow down because the incredible fast pace of our world and the fast pace that we live at right now. And, And in March, it seems like someone hit the pause button, And instead of hitting play at some point, they just hit slow motion. And so there's this just perpetual, slow, where is new, normal? Where is normal? What does normal even look like? And there is this anxiousness, this angst that comes from not knowing when this ends. You remember the very first Sunday of this? I I know you write down every single word I ever say in sermons. Um, And so just pull out your your log. Um, This would have been from March. Um, but, But we did a story about a prophet named Elijah. And he talked about a drought that was going to last three and a half years. And this was our first Sunday with no people. There were nine people in this room. Because there was a a city ordinance that said you couldn't have more than 10 in a room. And so we had nine people in here with our A V team, worship team, and myself. And I made the joke, like, wouldn't it be funny if this pandemic lasted three and a half years? And at the this point, like we're eight months in. And and there's the kind of thought, like, when does this end? When, when does someone hit play? And, and we have this world where there is more and more anxiety around us. You throw in, not only it's 2020, but we've had these, um, this racial unrest with racial injustice. We've had a pr- um, presidential election. Anyone hear, hear that that's going on right now? And, and there have been so many things. We had, um, what were the hornets called? That, that was some point during this. Murder Hornets. Murder Hornets, yeah. It's like, what else could we do in 2020? And then, let's, just, let's not just stop there. Think about your everyday life. Anyone have a job? Have bills to pay? Have a marriage? Relationships to manage? Anyone have finances or debt to worry about? Anyone raising children? Anyone have to go outside for anything in our world right now? And there is anxiety all around us. I heard um, a commentator recently say, we're, we're all like um, Tom Hanks in Castaway, except Wilson is our cell phone <laughs> or our screen. Anyone ever talk to their TV? You, you might be a little anxious if you've ever had a conversation with the commentator on TV. You've ever had trouble sleeping. Anxiety might be a bit of an issue. Have you ever had imaginary conversations with another person? Have you ever really struggled to be present where you were in the moment? See, anxiety is this problem, and I think the important thing that we start with is what is anxiety. Um, so anxiety is this. Anxiety is a persistent worry or fear about everyday situations. It's a persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. Anxiety is always fueled by fear of the future, and it's driven by two small words. It's powered by two small words, what. If What if this happens? What could happen? Anxiety never comes from the past. Now, there are past circumstances that cause us to be anxious about the future. But it's never an angst over what happened. It's always an angst over what could happen because of that. What if this is found out? What if everyone knew? What if this has huge repercussions? What if um, this person is elected? What if this happens racially in our country? What happens if the political system, the economic system, you fill in the blank, it is always fueled by fear of what could happen. It's a fear of the future. And the problem, when we live anxiously, we can never experience joy. When we're constantly anxious, we can never experience joy, and you will never experience joy in the day because angst, anxiety is always focused about tomorrow, and it is impossible to experience joy today when you're constantly living in worry and fear about what could happen tomorrow. And and so with everything going on in our world, there is this tension that we live within of trying to be present and here today, but also constantly worried about what could happen tomorrow. So the question that I want to deal with this morning is how do we live without being anxious? And a lot of people would say, well, there's a pill for that. But, but here's the problem, and, and, and let, me, let me preface this real quick. I am not saying that if, if you struggle with anxiety, depression, just quit medication, da-da-da-da-da, okay? But, but what our goal is, and whether that is actual medication prescribed by a doctor or self-prescriptions of television and social media and food and addiction, pornography, we try to numb ourselves to the fear and the angst. And the problem is when you numb one emotion, you numb all emotions. You can't say, I want to numb out and get rid of anxiety and fear, but I still want to experience love and joy. You do not get to choose. And so the the. The tension that we live within is being present and loving and experiencing joy today or worried about what could happen tomorrow. And if you live in the what if of tomorrow, you will never experience God's joy today. So like I said, here's the question. How do we live without being anxious How do we live in a world with everyday situations, a world that seems like it's at its tipping point, a world where anxiety floods all around us and still experience joy today? And so here's what Paul says. Verse 4, rejoice rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And if you have been here with us in this series, this word rejoice, it occurs somewhat 19 times in some form, the word kara in the Greek, and it means rejoice, to be glad, to experience joy. 19 times in four chapters that Paul talks about what it looks like to experience joy, and he begins with this imperative. And and As we've said through this series, Paul loves imperatives, these commands. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. What do we rejoice in? We rejoice in the Lord. What do we rejoice in the Lord? And he's talked about throughout this writing, through this letter that he's written from house arrest, as Paul's in quarantine in Rome awaiting trial before Caesar. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice that Jesus has saved us. Rejoice that God in Jesus gave up his place in heaven to come and live in the middle of our mess that we created and show us that there is a different way. And the world says, here's what it looks like to live with joy. And Jesus says, there's a different way And he simply invites people to come and be a part of it. He doesn't, as we said last week, he doesn't try to persuade or manipulate. It's just simply an invitation, come and follow me. Rejoice because you're citizens of a different world. This world is passing away, but we walk through those waters into this new life. And we stand here in the midst of this new world that God is redeeming and restoring and making all things new. Have joy because of it. Rejoice because of it. You've been given this divine vocation, this purpose, that we're image bearers of the Creator, that we have good news for the world that's full of bad news and anxiety and frustration and anger. Rejoice. There is good news. Rejoicing. It reframes our perspective. Rejoicing reframes our perspective. It helps us to move to a different place so we see the world differently. There there was this wilderness trek that we went on one year. I think we were climbing this mountain called Mount Hope. If you don't know what wilderness trek is, it is a trip in the mountains where you hike up a 14,000, 15,000-foot peak. And I remember this one day as we were hiking up the mountain, that we got to this point in this big open field and the peak is right there in front of us. And it's like, okay, we, we have maybe maybe another 30, 40 minutes and we're going to be there. And we get up to the top of this ridge and we realize there's two more ridges before we even get to the part where the peak is. What, what happened in that short 30 minutes? Our perspective changed. I moved to a different place and I was able to see things differently. Are you anxious, I think Paul would say, that, then change your perspective and move to a place of rejoicing in the goodness of God that He has given you grace beyond measure, that He has called you a child, a citizen of this new world, and He's given you a part in it. And he goes on to say this, let your gentleness be evident to all. This word, word gentleness, the only time it occurs in the Greek New Testament. And I translate it um, gentleness, but I think a better translation is reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be evident to all. Are you a reasonable person? And maybe just a change in perspective would help with a couple questions. Would someone else consider you a reasonable person? Have you ever had a conversation with your television? I mean I mean, just step back and, and look at it from another person's perspective who has no idea what a television is. Oh, I'm, I'm guessing if you're going to have a conversation with them, they can hear you and talk back to you and have a conversation. No. Are you a reasonable, have you ever driven down the road and have a, had a conversation in your mind with someone who was not there? Or a conversation that might not even ever take place? Look at debt, look at addiction, look at the, the lies that we tell ourselves. Would, would someone in your world step back and say, that is a reasonable person? What, what about the way that you interact or talk about politics or race or anything else that's going on in our world right now? Would someone say, well, that is a reasonable person? And what Paul says is, as you, you're rejoicing, it reframes everything. So let your reasonableness be evident to everyone. Let, let everyone see and know that you are reasonable. It doesn't seem like it's too much to ask. Would someone say you're a reasonable person when every situation is always the worst case scenario. Oh, well, that's a reasonable person. Because the the bottom line, and we talked a little bit about this last week, things are never as bad as they seem or as we imagine they are. And things are also never as good as we see or imagine that they are. That, That more so things are in the middle. And I think reasonable people have the ability to hold that in their hand. And if you understand, as we talked about last week, where your citizenship is, that you're citizens of a different world, of a kingdom that God has ushered in through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If you understand that you're part of that world, it allows you to be reasonable. And here's the problem. When we are full of anxiety... It's very difficult to be reasonable. Because when we live in anxiety, we're always worried about what could happen, that fear of the future. And we live in this perpetual state of fight, flight, and freeze. And when we're in that state, our minds don't function well. And we make irrational statements. And we make poor decisions. And we lie to ourselves about the addiction that it's not that big of a deal. And we allow sin to take hold in our life and take root deep, deep within our heart. But it's when we rejoice, it changes our perspective, allows us to see things in a different way. And it frees us of the fear and worry of everyday situations. See, what we said last week, and I think it's so, so important, what you consume will consume you. And you remember your parents telling you that as a kid. If you listen to that music all the time, if you watch those movies, if you hang out with those people, what you consume will consume you. Let me talk to you as adults once again. What you consume will consume you. If you constantly consume Fox News, CNN, Facebook, it will consume you in the same way. If that is your filter through which you see the world, it will consume you. And it will eat away at your soul. What is it that you consume? Is it the Word of God that you feed on? Is is it what gives you life? Is it what sustains you? Is it what allows you to rejoice in God's goodness? Because we're constantly reminded of what God is doing. Let your reasonableness be evident to everyone. And he goes on to say this, verse 5. The Lord is near. So let your reasonableness be evident, let it be seen by everyone. The Lord is near. And typically when we hear that, there's there's two options. One is the return of Jesus, that that Christ's return is near, it's, it's going to happen. But the other way that it's heard is this, in proximity. Your relationship in distance to someone else. So the Lord being near, when we talk about proximity, is this lack of distance, that that God is close, that, that God has leaned in to his people, and that God is with his people. And because the distance is so close, I think this is why he talks about proximity right here. Because that distance is so close, he says this, So be anxious, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do not be anxious about anything. God, what about the election? What what about racial injustice? What about school? What about a pandemic? What about um, medicine? What about our finances? What about our debt? What about our addiction? What about our family? What about our kids? What about my marriage? What about... You can fill in the blank. Do not be anxious about anything. Is it possible to live without being anxious? Is it possible to go through a day not worried about it? But because the Lord is near, don't be anxious. Anxiety will surface. It will come up. But when it does, here's what happens. Anxiety is our prompt to pray. It's our prompt. It reminds us. Do you you ever, back before, cell phones, now we use reminders, I needed to remember something for my sermon this morning, and I put a reminder on my phone last night, so it lights up at 7.15 this morning, reminding me to pick up what I needed. Back before phones, before Steve Jobs came along, people would tie a a, a, a string around their finger or write something on their hand. It, It was a reminder. When you saw it, it triggered it. And I think there's this internal prompt, this internal reminder that all of us have with anxiety. That anxiety is this prompt to stop everything that's going on and pray. How how do we do that? How do we pray? Do not be anxious about anything. Go on back to verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, all of those situations that cause worry and fear, In all of those situations, it's called worry and fear. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving because we've rejoiced in the goodness of God. we rejoiced in God's grace. That God smiled on us, that God loves us, that God is near. Present your request to God. So, So he gives us these reminders. Rejoice, which reframes our perspective. Remember. That God is near, this proximity statement. And pray is this prompt, this reminder that when we face anxiety that God is near. But, here's the beauty of this. On the other side, there's a blessing. It's not just, hey, here's what you need to do. Here's your command. Rejoice. Rejoice remember God is near, pray. Okay, y'all got it, go. But on the other side, there is a blessing. Here's what he says in verse seven. And the peace of God, anyone want peace right now? Would peace be a good thing right now in our world? Would peace be a really good thing in your anxious spirit from the worry and fear of everyday situations? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, this word transcends, goes beyond. Goes beyond anything anyone would understand. Why why would he say that? Think, Think about context again. Paul is facing trial in Rome. He's under house arrest. He, he's quarantined, right? He's in Rome waiting to face Caesar in a situation that everyone would look at and say, there is no way you can have peace. And he says, no, that's not true. Because the peace that I have goes beyond anything anyone could possibly understand. Because what everyone else sees is the world as it is. They see the violence, they see the conflict, they see the fighting, they see the anger, they see the, the unjust, they see the angst. There is no possibility that you could have peace and joy in the midst of this. Paul says, no. No, there is. There is a way. It is possible to live life free from anxiety. Free from worrying about what would Happen, what could happen tomorrow. It transcends all understanding. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard here is a military term. It's what we get when we talk about standing watch. It's someone who who stands watch to guard a, a prisoner or stands watch to guard. A a Caesar, that the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But here's what I know about someone who stands watch. They have to be present, right? You can't stand watch over someone from a distance and not be with them. That, that's why I think this is all about proximity. The Lord is near. So like I said, there was this story that we talked about back in March when we started the pandemic. And it was the story of Elijah. And I want to give you just a real quick cliff notes, um, Reader's Digest version of the story. If, If it's new to you or you don't know, Elijah is this prophet, and he is told to go to King Ahab, who is an evil king, and tell him there is going to be a drought in the land, and he does that. And Elijah has to go and live in the midst of a world in a drought with a king who's pretty ticked off about the drought and the repercussions of it. And he finds himself running from it. And then God gives him this message that the drought is going to end. And he finds himself with a servant up on a mountaintop waiting, looking for rain. And these seven times he sends his servant back to see if rain is coming. And finally when he comes back, he says, no, there is rain coming. And Elijah runs to tell Ahab. And God sends rain. But in the, the, the middle of the, the storm, as Elijah and Ahab are running back, Jezebel finds out about this and begins to pursue Elijah. Promises before the day is done, he will be dead. And so Elijah runs into the desert, and he comes to this point where he's ready to give up. He's ready to throw in the towel, and God provides for him food and water. He takes care of him, and then he goes 40 days into the desert where he's hiding in a cave, waiting basically to die. God, I want out of this. I'm all alone. I'm by myself. There's no one else who cares. There's no one who cares. Just take me out of this mess, God. And then God speaks to Elijah. So 1 Kings 19, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So God comes and he promises, going on, verse 12, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Go go back one, just leave it there. Waiting for God to show up. And there's the wind, and the fire, and the earthquake. And we expect God to show himself in this moment. God, if you're really with Elijah, show up in a way that only he can hear. Show up so that everyone knows. Show up in a way that scares everyone off and takes him out of the situation and makes everything better. But he doesn't come through the fire and he doesn't come through the wind and he doesn't come through the earthquake. He comes through a whisper. This gentle whisper and It says this When Elijah heard it he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave Then a voice said to him What are you doing here Elijah verse 14 He replied I have been very zealous for the Lord God almighty the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, your prophet, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Here's the quick version. God, I've done everything you asked, and I am all alone. And right now, I need for you to show up in a powerful way that makes it clear so that no one can doubt your presence is with me. And yet, it's not in the fire, or the wind, or the earthquake. It's in the whisper. Elijah says, God, I'm all alone. There's no one else. See, what Elijah does not know is there are still 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed their knee to Baal. There there are still 7,000 in Israel, and he is not alone, but the problem is he cannot see. He can't see what is fixing to happen. He can't see what the future holds. So, I want to try to to show you this, and, and I hope this is something you will never forget. So so what I'm going to have you do, for for the people on this side of the auditorium, and if you're in 101, 102, to this side, um, if you're at home, um, I don't know what this is going to seem like for you. I hope it comes across and and makes sense. Um, But for you right here, we're going to read something together. Since it is an election season, this is the preamble to the Constitution. And so if you're on this side, you're going to read this out loud with me, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessing of liberty to ourselves, our prosperity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. So, this is your part of the sermon. You you get to read this. I do not care what pace you read it at. I just want you to read it loud so that it can be heard. Got it? I'll I'll prompt you in just a minute when to start. This side, we're also in the middle of the World Series. And and right now it looks like we're going to get seven games. That's my only hope in the series. We get seven games. So, People will, okay, wait, y'all are going to read this with me. Y'all got this side, okay? People will come, Ray. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It has been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good And could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. All right. Politics and baseball, right? Perfect Sunday morning. So you're gonna read the preamble. You're gonna read the Field of Dreams quote. As I said, it does not matter pace you read, if everyone's different, that's fine. I just want you to read it loud. Okay? We got it? No one, no one shy? You want to turn on the lights so everyone can get a really good, everyone see really well, okay? Now, Gracie, come help me real quick. This is my lovely 13-year-old daughter, Gracie, and she trusts me a lot. I'm going to pull your hair, but it's okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now, what I want you to know is this is my firstborn. And I love her more than you could ever imagine. And as her dad, I do not want anything happen to her. And what I want her to know. Is no matter what. I am near. Why is the whisper. So important. Because to whisper. Can only mean. That you're near. Because you don't whisper person can't hear you. Who's standing next to you. So, we're going to read, and you have your part, and you have your part, and there's also going to be a little bit more noise added in. So, let's start here. We, the people, people will come. Okay, I want you to follow me. We're going to take a step down. We're going to step down. Step down. And keep going. Okay? Now, we're just walking down the center aisle. And I want you to follow my lead. And I won't let anyone hurt you. No one will get up. No one will do anything. They're reading. But just listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. Okay, let's stop. Now, with all the noise, it would be almost impossible to hear. But because God is near, because He speaks in a gentle whisper, Gracie knows that her dad is right by her side. Right now, I think there are people this morning who are worried about what could happen. You're worried about the what-ifs, what could be, and what you need to be reminded of is the lord is near and he will not leave you or forsake you or abandon you because in the story of elijah what i want i want god to come in the thunderous voice and take away the storm but he doesn't he comes up right beside elijah And he says, I am with you, always. Don't give up, Elijah. You're not alone. And because God is near, Paul says, in every situation, present your requests, your prayers, your position, petition to God. And the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Father, we struggle so many times asking the question, God, where are you? But, Father, today, let us be reminded that you are near that You will not leave us, You will not forsake us. And Father, knowing that, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Father, for those today who are struggling with guilt, who are struggling with depression, who are struggling with anxiety and stress, I pray the peace of your presence would guard their heart and would fill their mind with joy. Father, help us today to walk closer to Jesus than we did the day before. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.